Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. everyone welcome to adventures in autism episode 128 i am megan carranza thank you so much for coming to listen if it is your first episode welcome so happy to have you and if you've been listening thank you so much for coming on back to the show and as always i just have to start every episode by saying thank you so much to everybody who just listens and supports the show especially after last week's episode where i really talked about kind of reflecting on our autism journey and just how far we've come the lessons i've learned what has changed from the beginning how my perspective has shifted i heard from many of you who i have not before and you just you know felt compelled to reach out and talk about your own journey and how things have changed for you. And a lot of great conversations came out of that episode. So thank you so much for reaching out. I always love hearing from you guys. Never hesitate to reach out. And today I am super excited. My guest is Jessica Loving and Jessica is a sibling. Her brother has autism and she is the founder of the Center for Siblings of People with Disabilities. And she's also an author. She wrote a children's book called Billy's Sister that has a corresponding workbook that she was kind enough to send a copy to us. And I've read it several times now with my daughters. And Liliana has even been working on the workbook. And she loves it. It's honestly, it's it's such a great resource for, for siblings. And Liliana's young. She's only four. And even for her, we have had some really awesome conversations since reading the book and doing the workbook. Jessica and I will talk about that more kind of in the episode. But today she's kind of sharing her journey and what got her to this point, starting her nonprofit. And she really is just doing such amazing things for the autism community. So I am thrilled to have her on the show. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy listening to my conversation with Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Adventures in Autism. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm really excited to have you. I was just telling you, I love talking to siblings. I feel like it is such an amazing resource for parents like me who have, you know, younger kids to talk to adult siblings of, you know, somebody on the spectrum because it's just like there's so much insight. I always say like, your siblings understand you in a way that nobody else does. And that's actually something that is in your book, which we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I loved that line. That meant a lot to me. So you and I connected on Instagram and I don't know, I know what you're doing and the work you're doing, which is amazing, but I'm really excited to hear more about your story. So if you will kind of take us back to the beginning of your journey with your brother, I would love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, the book Billy's Sister is autobiographical. It's based on my actual brother, Billy, um, and that is his real name. And we are six years apart, so I'm six years older than him. And yeah, he was diagnosed with autism when I was about eight. So I remember actually the day that he got diagnosed, um, I had been at ballet class and I, you know, it was like a weekly ballet thing I would go to. And my grandpa picked me up and I remember coming out of class and like thinking it was so strange because usually my mom would come to get me. Um, and when I got home, my stepdad told me that, you know, my mom was in her room and I shouldn't bother her and I could hear her crying. It was this like very kind of dramatic thing. And I just remember being really confused and my mom did eventually, you know, come and explain to me like your brother's been diagnosed with autism. She was trying to explain to me what it was. And I didn't really get it because, you know, at the time my brother was two and I had been, you know, being six years older, I had always been like, he was like my baby doll. Like I would push him in his stroller and I was like always really excited to be the big sister and taking care of him. So, you know, to me, I hadn't spent like a ton of time with other two-year-olds. So I didn't really see that much difference. Um, So it was really hard to understand like why everybody was so upset. Um, 
And to, you know, it took me a while, I think, to learn what autism was and to get a sense of how it was going to affect his life. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, before we came on, we were talking about there's such a difference now, like this was 20 some years ago. And I think mm-hmm. today there probably would have been, um, you know, I think my mom would have probably been in a different place, too. Like, you know, who knows? But I, I know that now having talked to her about it, like the way that his diagnosis was presented to her was kind of like, you know, all the hopes that you may have had for your son, you're going to have to reconfigure those. And like, it, I think felt like this really devastating news in a way that now there's a lot, there's a lot more resources and a lot more hope and a lot more, you know, focus on like positive Mm -hmm. elements and abilities and differences um, that really wasn't there at the time. So it definitely felt um, like this really scary thing And I just remember being like worried about him and worried about what his future would look like from this very young age. Um, And then also kind of just taking on this feeling of like, I need to sort of help my mom and help my stepdad. You know, like they, they were clearly so upset and so busy then after that dealing with, um, you know, shuttling him to all the therapist appointments. He was in speech therapy and um, occupational therapy and they tried like hippotherapy with horses and he would just be going constantly to all these different doctor's appointments um so I think I just really internalized this sense of like I need to sort of lay low and be like the good child um Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's interesting now doing this work says that you know now I work professionally with siblings we have our book and our nonprofit, which I'm sure we'll talk about later um and I realize now looking back my experience was really typical because like I never, like, even some of the things in the book, like, I write in the book about how, um, you know, sometimes my brother would not get in trouble for something that I totally would have gotten in trouble for, or that I would feel frustrated with him for not understanding something. Um, And some of that really, I didn't even realize I was feeling that way until later. And so part of writing the book was to be able to give kids those tools to recognize what they're feeling. Um, because there's this very typical experience that kids have of like pushing down whatever they might be feeling because they need, they feel like a need to protect their parents or to not be an extra burden. Um, So I definitely, you know, kind of had that experience, um, but really wasn't aware of it affecting my life so much. Like, you know, I was very young, so there was only so much self-awareness that there could be around that. Um, And then when I was in high school, I was actually approached by um, a clinic that was in our neighborhood where my brother had been getting services. Um, and they asked my mom if I might be willing to like come in and talk to some of their siblings, like the younger siblings that were coming in, um, or if I could like write a little essay about what it was like to be a sibling because they had a bunch of parents of kids with, you know, multiple different disabilities that they were um, you know, working with. And the parents would say, like, you know, do you have anything for siblings? I have other kids at home, and they're having some issues, too. They're struggling, they're nervous, they're jealous, they're anxious, you know, what can I give them? And this clinic was like, we don't have anything. Like, there's just not, there aren't resources for siblings. It was not a thing at the time. Um, so I ended up finding a friend who liked to draw and I was really into writing. And so I wrote, you know, that's when I wrote the first draft of Billy's sister and it was kind of based on my actual experience. But then also I would, I talked to some of the social workers at this clinic to sort of walk through what are the common issues that siblings have and how can we really give a voice to them? Um, so yeah, that was the first draft of it. And we were able to make it into a little self-published book and, it was kind of just a family project for a while. Like we had, a, we made like a hundred copies and we had gave some of them to the clinic and then we would bring them around to different like conferences and like the walk for autism speaks or, you know, whatever it was in 2005, <laughs> you know, when we were doing this. Um, and yeah, it kind of was just a small side project. And I then went away to college and had a different career in nonprofit marketing um, and just a couple of years ago, I started thinking about it again and wondered what, like, if there were new resources, like what else is out there for siblings now? And when I did a kind of quick Google search just to see, like, did I already, like, did I miss the boat if I wanted to publish this for real? Like, you know, probably <laughs> somebody else has done this by now. 
Um, and I couldn't find anything. I just like, there are so few still books out there, resources of any kind that focus on supporting siblings. Um, and especially when you look at children's books for the really young kids, they're, are almost none. Like I did find a handful of books that are kind of from the sibling perspective, but mm-hmm. they aren't really about the sibling. They're like, this is my sister Susie. You know, she's in a wheelchair, but here are all the things she can do. She loves, you know, to play wheelchair basketball and like we're best friends and like all these really nice things, really positive and great, but it didn't talk about the sibling's actual experience at all. So I felt like it was important to get that out there and we were able to um, get the book published in a bigger way. And yeah, that kind of ended up turning into our nonprofit, the Center for Siblings, People with Disabilities. And yeah, there's lots more I could go into from there, but <laughs> I'll pause and let you, you know, ask any questions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's, there's so much that I'm excited about. Um, well, you were kind enough to send me a copy of the book and I actually just read it with Liliana last night. It's a bedtime story. Um, she's my four-year-old, almost five-year-old daughter. She'll be five in March. So I didn't, I haven't read it yet to my little one cause she's, she's two. So I, I don't think she's quite grasping it yet, but I was like, Liliana will be so into this. And she totally was. Um, and I absolutely loved it because we have, a few children's books that are, you know, centered on autism. And we love reading those. I actually give those to like my neighbors. Like I hand them out all the time just to, just to kind of spread awareness. Um, last year when, you know, COVID wasn't an issue, I, I went to Logan's school and I read to like his typical peers, one of the books. And I feel like there, thankfully now there, there is a lot or at least enough for, for kids to kind of have that conversation about autism. And I love that. And I think that's so important. But when I was reading this book with Liliana, what really struck me was kind of like you said, this is a book for her. And it's like, yes, it talks about autism, but it's so unique in that it really is from the sibling's perspective talking about autism and and some of the more challenging things as well. Like you said, like, you know, Billy would get a pass on something that you would have gotten into trouble for or if you got frustrated with him I feel like that is so important because we do so often hear about like you said like yes you know my sister's in a wheelchair but these are all the amazing things she can do which is great and I obviously I love hearing that but I do think for the siblings sometimes just like as a parent you know this can be like a a lonely or difficult journey it's the same thing for the siblings so giving that voice, I just think is, is so important. You had said that, you know, when, when Billy was first diagnosed, he was so little. And like you said, you thought of him as like your baby doll. So you didn't necessarily like see what the issue was. When, when was it then for you that you started to think, oh, Billy is a little bit different from other kids? Or when did you start to feel mm-hmm. that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, my mom did explain it to me when I, when he was first diagnosed and I, I started probably, you know, over those first couple of years when he was like two to four, maybe to, to pay more attention when I would see him with other kids his age. And like, I did start noticing that other kids were like chatterboxes and talking constantly, even at, you know, two or three. And he really only had one or two words. Um, he would also like, you know, he just wanted to stay in his room and like play with his train set and push it back and forth all day and wasn't as interested in like playing with other kids or playing with me, which is also something I, you know, kind of mentioned in the book that sometimes it feels like, you know, isn't my sibling supposed to be my best friend? How come they don't want to play with me? Um, so I did start, you know, once I started like intentionally like looking to compare him to the other kids, it, I did start to realize it a little more. Um, but really, I don't think I understood, like, even then, I think I was just kind of like, okay, well, so he doesn't talk as much as the other kids. He likes to play with trains, like, fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think it was more once he got into elementary school, um, that I started to understand, like, oh, he isn't picking up, you know, academic skills as fast as I did at that age. Like, I started to realize that, like, you know, I had known how to read by, kindergarten or first grade or whatever and he took a very long time to learn how to read um you know Mm -hmm. and um I think 
there was kind of there were like a few phases of it like the first phase was realizing like oh what are the like what are his differences and limitations and how is he really affected by this um and then once we were both even older they're kind of crossed into this phase of like am I embarrassed to be out with him in public because like there was definitely a shift when he went through puberty like you know when he was younger when he was like you know a little cute kid all of his behaviors were still kind of cute like you know he could um Mm -hmm. he was very into like hugging he would hug everybody and when you've got like a four-year-old likes to hug people it's like adorable you know there's nothing cuter than that um but then he became this like tall big beefy you know 14 year old and hugging strangers is not as acceptable and um mm-hmm. you know and he would always he was very like and he's still he's very he's very affectionate like he's very sweet but so like you know he we'd be in public and he would want to hold my hand or like kiss me on the cheek and I at a certain age started feeling like this is inappropriate and I don't like I would feel uncomfortable um so that mm-hmm. was kind of a big change also and I, I think once we both got old enough we're like you know, he, I started feeling like people were perceiving him differently. And I was, of course, you know, at the sensitive age where everything's embarrassing. So um, yes, that became kind of difficult. And, and then I guess maybe the other piece of it was then like the next phase, I guess, was really understanding like, oh, he's going to need support for his whole life. And, you know, kind of taking on, on that, you know, caregiver level, kind of the understanding that, um, and now this is something that we talk about in, in my professional work with siblings all the time is that in most cases, siblings are going to outlive parents. And so the sibling relationship is going to be the longest relationship that kids have in their life. Um, and so that means that, you know, eventually his care will probably fall to me. And I, you know, that was kind of the next phase of realization that like, oh, there's a, like a responsibility piece here too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's heavy. What, I mean, I know you said he's 20. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's 26, I believe. Okay. Okay. Um, as far as like your, like, you know, involvement with like him, I mean, obviously you're, you're both adults now. What's your relationship like now? Yeah. So fortunately my mom is very proactive with, um, all of the future planning. Mm -hmm. And so we've been able to have a lot of conversations about that. And he, so currently he still lives with her in the suburbs and we're about 45 minutes away. Um, so we have a Mm -hmm. really good relationship. I, you know, it's been harder during the pandemic because we, you know, when it was warmer out, we were able to go and like meet up and hang out in the yard. But now that it's cold, I haven't, you know, been able to see him as much. But in, you know, normal times, we see each other at least a couple times a month. Um, you know, we go to the movies and I, I recently got married and I'm really fortunate that my husband is like great with him. And, you know, so they have some things in common, we'll, like, you know, play video games and um, and actually my brother was the best man at my wedding, which was really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's so sweet. Congratulations. Thank you. On getting married. Yeah, it was, um, it was really, really nice for him. You know, it was really nice like, for me to be able to have him be the best man. And I think it also was really special for him. So, um, yeah, we're definitely very close, but, um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's something I have to talk about with my husband all the time. Like we're, we're talking about maybe buying a house. And as we think about it, we're, we're always thinking like, well, you know, down the road, like, do we need a house that has like a basement apartment or, you know, we, we kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if my brother will live with us in the future. He may, you know, there's the potential that he could live independently in an apartment or, you know, there are group homes, like there are many options, but um, I think a strong one that we think is possible is that he'll live with us. And so, um, you know, luckily he, I think, we get along really well. And so, you know, I think my brother is pretty easy to live with. It's been a while since I've lived with him, but he's a pretty good, you know, and I hear from my mom, he's a pretty good like tenant, you know, he keeps to himself and he's more or less clean. Um, but yeah, it is a weird kind of different thing that I think a lot of people, most people when they're getting married, don't have to say to their spouse, like, so are you going to be cool with my brother living with us in 20 years potentially you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah it is it's a little different but 
And, and I do think our relationship also, you know, COVID has made it challenging, not just because we can't kind of hang out in person, but um, he's not, so he's not as great on the phone. And, and this, and actually it was something mm. that I think about a lot. Like when I went away to college was really a big shift in our relationship because I went away to school in Boston and we grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, and, you know, he just, I remember like the first time he called me, he left a message and it was like very stilted. And it was like, this is your brother, Billy. Uh, you can call me back at this number. And it's like, yeah, I only have one brother. I know your name. I know your phone number. Like, he, he, you know, it was just like, it was very cute. But, you know, when we would talk on yeah. the phone, it, it's just not really his strength. So it's a lot harder to, to keep up the relationship. So it's been, it's been difficult during quarantine but yeah. but overall we get along really well he's pretty funny got a really good sense of humor oh oh my gosh I I'm just like smiling thinking about you guys that just makes me so happy um it, it's interesting because that's actually one of the things that I was going to ask because I feel like especially you know as you get older and then it's like you are you know introducing your brother to your friends or like you said your husband or like boyfriends what was that like for you growing up? Because you do mention in the book, like, if you want to, if you had a friend over or something, like, was there, you know, some maybe like growing pains in terms of like introducing your brother or like explaining your brother, mm-hmm. like that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, it really did change, like I said, around puberty. I think like before that, I didn't really notice, like, you know, even when I had that kind of awareness of like, oh, he's got you know, maybe like reading is harder. He's got some learning disabilities. Like I didn't really care about that so much when my friends would come over. Um, but once he did hit that puberty level, it would be very uncomfortable. Like if I had a female friend come over, he would like want to hug them and they didn't always like that. Um, so yeah, it, it was a difficult thing. And I think fortunately I had a really good group of friends who were all very kind and accommodating and I do think I kind of, you know, in a way he was kind of like a litmus test. Like if somebody's not going to be okay with him, then maybe they're not the type of person I want to be friends with. Um, so that mm-hmm. it was helpful, but, but even that, that kind of perspective is a lot easier to have once you're older, you know, and once you have a stronger sense of self. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, I did have some nerves about it growing up. And then once I was older, I think it was less so because I had just become more kind of, you know, self-confident and assured that like, you know, again, like if some, like if I'm going to have a boyfriend, they kind of better get along with him or otherwise it's not going to work. Um, <laughs> but that being said, it's, it's nerve wracking. Like the first time that I did introduce him to my, you know, now husband, I was very nervous. Like if they hadn't gotten along or if, you know, my husband had been like super awkward or weird about it. I would have had to like ask some serious questions about the relationship. And I really didn't want to do that because I really liked him, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah, it definitely adds some, some stress, but I've been very fortunate that most people, most people really are very understanding, but you know, there's always the question that is in your mind when you don't know. Yeah. It's interesting because from a parent perspective, I I often talk about how like autism, I mean, it's kind of just like baked into our life now. You know, it's not, it's not really like a big deal because it's just our, our everyday. It's both like a really big deal and not a big Mm -hmm. deal at all. Totally. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. But I often refer to it as just like this extra layer. Like there's this, this extra layer of, you know, something that we have to think about and like for you or for siblings like you said it's it's sort of it's it's a it's kind of a good thing because it shows you like who are the good people and who are maybe not so much the good people but it's just that extra layer again of you know you have a friend and it's like okay is this friend going to be like kind or accepting to my brother and if they're not Mm -hmm. you know that's a problem exactly yeah and it's it is exactly it's just like one more Step. And I think I, I completely feel you on like, it's a big deal. And it's not a big deal. Because like, truthfully, like, you know, now that I've started <laughs> doing this work with our nonprofit and the book, like now I'm talking about autism and my brother and my experience all the time. But before this happened, like, really, you know, it was just, that's just my life. Like, this is just my brother. And like, you know, we, we just adapt, you do what you have to do. And so like, there might be a couple of extra steps, like, you know, when he was the best man at my wedding, we had, you know, to explain, like, we ran through it a few times so that he would know what to do. But 
it's just that's what you do you know <laughs> it like wasn't something we really thought about a lot um but yeah it's it's really like yeah. once you stop and reflect you can see all those pieces but in the day-to-day it's kind of just like this is how life goes yeah for sure and that was one of the things I I liked about the book too because like I said it's it's something like we talk very openly about autism like we don't really kind of you know sugarcoat or like hide anything from our kids like we're just very open they're involved with like therapy and stuff like that um but that was kind of what I liked about the book is that I feel like it did kind of give sort of this opening for Liliana and I to have uh, kind of a discussion and like talking about some of the things in the book one of the things that I know she because again she's little so they're like when you talk to I, I asked her I'm like do you ever feel like, you know, Logie won't get in trouble for something that you do? And she's like, mm, not really. Like that didn't necessarily like she, I don't, I, I'm sure she gets older. She'll <laughs> read into that for sure. Um, but you, you mentioned it earlier. It was talking about, um, now I'm like oh, losing no my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> this is real life. I'm just a mom <laughs> doing a podcast. Um, well, there was one thing that was interesting was she asked me, because my son Logan is is nonverbal, and she was asking me, she's like, oh, does Billy talk? And I'm like, <laughs> I'll have to ask Jessica, because <laughs> that was something that that she wanted to know for sure. Um, and, and you meant, we talked about, there was something where you had mentioned like using, um, you talked about like using a computer to talk, but like basically an AAC, which my son does use. Um, was that ever like a... a was communicating I mean you said on the phone he's not mm-hmm. great but it yeah, sounds like he, he is, is verbal. verbal and um and actually it really was a big difference because like I said when he was two or three he really only had very few words um but then you know my mom would probably know what age I don't remember it exactly what age but at some point he just like suddenly caught up and he had like a flood of language that came um so now he is super mm. verbal <laughs> yeah and um yeah very oh, much and he's actually awesome. very independent like he He's, he was just delayed with a lot of things, but but eventually got there. Like, he actually now also has his driver's license, which was a huge wow. step. Um, wow. Yeah, and I – and we really – I didn't see that happening because he – you know, when everybody else was doing it at 16, it was not something he was going to be able to do. But then kind of just later in life chipped away at it, and it took him a couple of years to get through driver's ed, but then he did, and now he's a very good driver. I actually think he's a better driver than I am because he is – very very like follows the rules to the number so um, like if the speed limit is 35 he's going 35 that's... so um, <laughs> but, yeah that's great yeah he he's oh. had a lot of um of growth and is able to be you know it's it's always difficult because like when I was growing up we would say high functioning but those are not the words to use anymore but you know he's he has a lot of skills yeah it's hard though. Cause sometimes it's like, there's, we need another word. If we're not going to say high functioning, exactly. we just need like another, <laughs> sometimes I'll say like, you mm-hmm. know, needs less support. Um, but it's, it's hard when you're trying to just, you know, right. explain a person like, it's like <laughs> yeah. what, what should I say here? Um, I thought of what it was that, that Liliana really related to. And it was when you talked about, wanting to play with Billy and him kind of wanting to like either play on his own or play with your parents. Logan will play with the girls sometimes, but that Mm -hmm. can be hard for sure that they want to play with him or they want to like, just kind of like be included with what he's doing. And first of all, he doesn't really play like a typical child would. Um, But then there's, there's, there's things that they can do that they can, that they all enjoy. Like they love like, playing like chase like that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff is really fun for them Uh, or like anything physical like logan is really into but that was something that really kind of got her going because like i said there were some other things that she maybe didn't relate to right now but that she immediately she was like oh yeah she's like that's how how logan is sometimes and it was really it was really cool because i feel like we we have these conversations like sometimes she'll say oh, I want to play with Logie, but he doesn't want to play with me. And I'll be like, well, that's okay. You can just, you know, play with your Barbies or whatever and sort of like just change, you know, give her something else to do. But I, it was interesting to actually kind of have the conversation with her and talk mm-hmm. about how that makes sense. Yeah. Happen. And I think kind of to your point about like some of it not resonating yet, like part of the reason I wanted to write this book and to really 
like focus our our work as a center is on kind of we call it like early intervention and really getting to young children because a lot of it is just getting the language like if you think about you know what kind of books we choose for kids like we read I mean I don't have children but you know what I have learned about in parenting and what I intend to do with kids someday hopefully is like you know, you get, you build your library of books based on what your values are and you start reading those to your kids at bedtime before, before they can understand, you know, it's, it's intended to kind of build for them what is like, you know, the core components, like a foundation for learning so that when it is applicable, yep. they'll know what to say. And I think like a lot of these, like, it's so, it makes me so happy to hear you guys are having these conversations and I'm, you know, really glad to hear the book was mm-hmm. able to be a part of it. Cause I think, um, you know, one, what I've heard also from psychologists as I've started to like dig into this more academically is it's, so there are actually, um, they've been able to document that siblings of kids with disabilities have higher rates of anxiety and depression once they become adults. Um, and there's a lot more mm. research needed, but it kind of makes sense. And like anecdotally of the stories that I've started gathering and kind of some of the psychologists that I've talked to and what they've experienced with their you know, patients um, is that if kids don't have that language, then they don't even really recognize what they're experiencing. Like it's just, it gets kind of pushed down or you can kind of repress like, um, you know, cause some of these are really like icky emotions. Like you don't want to feel embarrassed of your sibling. And I think yeah. like we, as a society really try to, you know, most people I think try to teach their kids that like, you know, if someone has a disability, we need to be kind and we need to be accepting. And for a sibling, you can kind of internalize that and think like, well, that means that I, I'm not allowed to be mad at them. Like, even if they do something that makes me angry, I'm not really allowed to be angry about it because it's not their fault. And that's, that's like really complicated and and it doesn't work. And it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, the anger goes somewhere. And so even if you try to deny that it's there and, you know, don't express it, it it's going to turn into anxiety or depression or, you know, just whatever whatever toll it's going to take on you later. So I think kind of being able to just put out there, like, these are some things that could happen in a sibling relationship. They might not, you know, maybe you won't ever experience this, but if you do, it's okay to talk about and it's healthy to talk about and it's okay to feel that way. Yeah, I I totally agree with you. I was thinking that as I was reading it to her, I'm like, this is going to be so great for us to, you know, come back to and, continue to read through the years because I feel like like just like you said even if there's things that she's maybe not like you know connecting the dots to now Mm -hmm. I'm sure she will (laughs) eventually (laughs) um and and just like you said too like those those feelings I think especially as a kid like you had said earlier that you always felt like you had to be like the good one um and that kind of broke my heart a little bit because I feel like I, I can only imagine what that felt mm-hmm. like as a kid. Like that's a lot of pressure yeah. to put on a kid. And it's really, I think an internal pressure. Like sometimes when I speak to like parent groups or I'm talking to parents, they're like, parents can get a little like defensive, like, Oh, but I never told my kids that like, I didn't tell them they had to be the good kid. It's like, you don't have to, it, it's kind of something that yeah. a lot of kids just pick up. Um, and yeah, it's like, I think especially when parents of young kids, like you have a new diagnosis you're dealing with, like there's so much you have to take care of. And then if you like kind of look over and the other kid seems fine, you're like, phew, great. The other kid's fine. That's, you know, really because I don't have the bandwidth right now to do anything else. Um, And it's just, I think Mm -hmm. what we really, what we're learning about siblings is that a lot of times, even if the siblings seem fine, they are kind of, you know, they, they might have other stuff going on that they're just not really showing you. And it's not an, it's not necessarily intentionally hiding it either. It's not like they're sitting in their room being like, I'm, you know, feeling really stressed out because I have to be the perfect child because mom's too busy. Like they don't necessarily have the ability to have that thought. It's just what's happening. Mm-hmm. So to be able to, to start those conversations and, yeah. and let them know that they don't have to do that is it just can make such a huge difference. Totally. No, I, I can, I can completely see that. And like you said, like, it's a, it's that internal pressure, but it's funny. Cause even with Liliana being as young as she is, like, she is very mature and like wise beyond her years. And I, I credit a lot of that to just, you know, her growing up with a special needs sibling. I think that that has just given her more empathy and understanding and maturity, honestly, because she really is just very, 
very wise beyond her years. But it's also something that I definitely I, I think about because I'm like constantly asking myself, like, am I giving her like too much responsibility? Am mm-hmm. I she's always like my little helper. And she, yeah, she loves to help. And it, I think it it's it's great for her because it kind of like gives her she's definitely um, I don't want to say a people pleaser because <laughs> she's also like super sassy. <laughs> But she, she definitely, she's just very caring and loving and she wants to help. She's just like programmed that way. But I'm always questioning myself like, okay, is, is this like too much? Am I, am I expecting too much from her? Because it really is that, that fine line and you don't want to put that pressure on them. But at the same time, like you said, when you see like, you know, one child has more challenges and the other is, you know, doing just fine. It's, it's like easy to be like, okay, well you're, you're okay. You can do this on your own or you can help me with this. And I constantly question myself, like, okay, I don't, I don't want to give her mm-hmm, too much. Totally. So it's just that and fine line. I think, yeah, I think it's really common. Like kids will volunteer to help. And I, I think I was the same way. I like loved being able to like babysit my brother, help out. And like, I also, I kind of made it my mission. Like every time there was a school project where you could pick your own topic, I would write about autism. And like, I wanted to tell everybody about it. And like, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that is really great like you know and and I think um it's so I'm so interested in the um kind of research piece and we're hoping to do a partnership actually with um like an academic institution that's trying to do more research on siblings because they we do have these kind of like you know Mm -hmm. downer scary studies showing that there are these high rates of anxiety and depression but they did also do a study showing that totally that siblings have are much more likely to have a more developed sense of empathy and I think you know that's it's like it's a wonderful thing it's just these kind of coping tools to learn, like to be aware of your own feelings because, and to like to set boundaries because we see so many siblings also who go into caregiving professions like, oh my gosh, like so many siblings that I know are either special ed teachers or they're nurses. Like it's just, we grow up kind of being very attuned to taking care of people and, and really getting a reward from it. And so people go mm-hmm. into these helping professions, um, which is, great you know and there's like no part of me that would say there's anything bad about that I think we just have to be super aware of like giving kids like teaching the skills to be able to also have self-care and set boundaries and make sure that like you're just checking in with yourself every once in a while like is my own you know tap full or whatever that expression is you know (laughs) like um like taking care of yourself first and then being able to help others like the the flight attendant you know like putting on your own seatbelt or um no, what is it? The air, air filter, whatever it is on the airplanes, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I know. And that's always, a, I think, a difficult thing for parents to grasp. It's like you always feel like you want to help your kids first. But again, it's like if you are, if you're not taking care of yourself and you're, like you said, like your cup isn't full, it's so hard to give to others. And I think you're totally right. It really is the same thing for a sibling is that like you, you have to be taking care of yourself and I think you, well, I'm just speaking from my own experience, but I feel like I see my daughter growing up in like a, a selfless way a lot. And I think that that is so admirable, but I also, I, like I said, I just don't want to put that pressure on her because I still, as much as her childhood is, is very different from a lot of her peers, I, I still want her to have like a mm-hmm. happy and fulfilled, exactly. you know, life. Yeah. And I think that's what all parents want for your kids. And like, it really, I think is very possible you know and I think like it's easy sometimes to go down like when I'm talking about siblings have to go down this road of like oh it was so difficult and it's so hard to overcome the anxiety and whatever but I think it's really like we call what we're doing early intervention because we're trying to prevent those problems by just giving the tools so that you know you can have that happy and fulfilling life and be able to find that balance um, and like check in with yourself about boundaries and and I do think you know, like when we speak to parent groups, I a lot of times will have like a psychologist or someone kind of present with me. And we always talk about like parents needing to do their own self-care first, not just because of all the reasons that we already know parents are supposed to do self-care, but to model what that looks like for the sibling because they're looking at you. And if you're, mm. you know, just giving yourself constantly because you think that like, oh, well, my kids are supposed to come before everything else they're kind of going to model that. Like that's, that's how my mom takes care of my siblings. So that's how I'm going to take care of them too. And I think, you know, maybe it gives parents another Mm. little extra incentive to do, to really do self-care. If you think of it as like self-care is actually not just for you. Self-care is for, for the siblings as well to show them how to do it. 
That's a really good perspective and one that I hadn't really thought of before. Everyone who listens to the show knows that I've been on this like self-care journey over the past like really year, but I've put a lot of emphasis on it in the past few months. Um, and it's paid off. Like I get, you can see when you put, put that time in and you, you know, give yourself that time, how worthwhile it is and how helpful it is. And that's like you said, it's kind of that, that extra boost to be like, okay, this is, I'm not just doing, you know, when you're doing it, you're not just doing it for you. Cause again, it's like at, when, mm-hmm. when you're taking care of them, like everybody benefits from it, but like you said, mm-hmm. the modeling. Yeah. And really we talk about that with it. like kind of these coping skills too, because a lot of the experiences that parents are having are the same as the siblings. Like, you know, I, I imagine, and I've heard from parents, mm-hmm. like if you're in the grocery store and your kids are having a meltdown, like parents are not immune to embarrassment either. You know, like these are feelings that we have. It's just, mm-hmm. how do you, how do you cope with them? And how are you showing your kids? Like, and it doesn't necessarily mean like, I'm going to put on a brave face and pretend like that doesn't bother me. It can be, you know, going home and saying like, Whew, that was kind of tough at the grocery store today, huh? And like, I was a little embarrassed for you. Well, you know, here's what I do when mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed and just let them know, like, it's okay to feel embarrassed. It's okay to feel angry. It's just, here's how we deal with those emotions. We don't have to let them like take over. It's, it's normal to feel your feelings. It's feelings are only like, there's no such thing as a bad feeling. A feeling is only negative if you don't like handle it appropriately. Yeah, that it's funny you said it because that was I, I talked about I wrote a post for um, Instagram. And I, I said that, you know, that as much as like this journey can sometimes feel like frustrating or lonely for a parent, mm-hmm. I can only imagine yeah, it's the same exactly. for a sibling. And, and so I do always recommend um, like there is a group called Sib Shops. And so I definitely would recommend for you guys and anybody listening um, to see if you can find one because it's a peer support group. Well, actually, they I think they're very careful on their website not to call it a support group. It's just like a peer social group for siblings. Um, yeah, because oh. and I interview. So I actually have a podcast also. I don't know if I had mentioned and I it's we don't have very many episodes. I kind of started it and did like six episodes and we're behind with updating. But um, one of the first episodes, I interviewed the, the founder of the Sib Shops program, and he was talking about how, like, when a parent goes to the doctor's office or wherever you go and you get handed your child's diagnosis, you are, like, in the same breath handed information about support groups and, like, what to do for yourself. You get, like, a list of books. You get a list of support groups. Um, siblings don't get any of that, you know, but they should. Like, they are having a mirror experience and Uh they, it can be really lonely and just being able to connect with peers is so important. So, um, yeah, Sib Shops has chapters all over the place and we, we've partnered with them and we're hopefully hoping to start our own one day, but yeah, I think anything that, you know, can be done to help siblings find, find that peer group and, and also the representation, like part of why I wanted to get our book out there and we're trying to work on getting some more books also is just to be able to see yourself represented, like, in literature and, you know, in film too. Like if, if you don't see your story told anywhere, it, it can feel very lonely. Yeah, for sure. Well, that sounds like an awesome resource. I'm going to look into that and listen to your podcast. Um, and then another, like what kind of goes right along with the book is there's a workbook, which I am so excited about. I was telling you, we we're doing homeschooling. I'm using quotations <laughs> cause I'm not the best homeschool teacher. Um, but I'm super excited because it's something we can we can use for for school because she can it's sort of like a fill in the blank and you can kind of write your own story, which my daughter is super excited about. Tell me how that idea came. Yeah, to I'm super excited that we were able to get it out there because, um, yeah, basically, as I was kind of starting to do workshops around the book um, and, you know, when things kind of grew after the book got published. Um, I realized that like the book really requires conversation. Like it, I mean, I, you could certainly just read it as like a story and then Mm -hmm. put it back on the shelf. But I think like you were talking about it really, it's best use is as a conversation piece and to, to spark that conversation with parents to kind of open the lines of communication and let them know like, Hey, if you're ever feeling mad at, you know, your brother, sister, you can talk to me about it. Do you ever feel this way? Um, And so part of it was just wanting to be able to like help prompt parents with, if it doesn't, you know, maybe come naturally to ask them those questions while you're reading. Um, But then also to really like give kids sort of that artistic expression and ability to really like, so on most of the pages of the workbook, we say, you know, either write or draw because we want it to be kind of up to them. And also that makes it a little more 
um, like broad in terms of age and skill level because the younger kids can draw, the older kids can write, whatever they want. Um, and I think that self-expression of being able to not just like identify how you're feeling. So it's, it's like the different pieces, like first kind of the prompt, you know, like, hey, have you ever felt angry at your sibling? Um, and then not to just answer it, but to be able to like mm-hmm. draw a picture of what that looks like or write a story about what that looks like and um, really process it that way kind of just cements it to that next level of being able to realize like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's how I felt about that. Okay. You know, and then um, just have those feelings like expressed mm-hmm. and validated um, and then to be able to come back to, and I think to be able to share with parents, like, I think art can be so valuable too. Like if you look and see how a kid draws their families, like sometimes there's, you know, is the sibling like the you know biggest person in the picture or whatever? Like I'm not an art therapist or crit- critic or whatever, but, but sometimes it really is interesting. Mm. You can, you can see mm-hmm. by looking at how kids draw, like, maybe I need to ask them something about that. You know, like things can sort of be revealed. So we wanted it to yeah. really be a tool to, to help parents have those conversations around the book and then also to, to help kids like really work through it a little more um, and have it there to come back to. Like we have a page about, um, you know, how would you describe your sibling's disability to a friend and like ask an adult if you need help. And that, you know, our, our hope is that that can be a page where like, okay, they mm-hmm. work with their parent to figure out like, how do I explain autism to my friends? And then they can come back and look and be like, oh, right, right, right. This, like I talked about this with mom. This is what I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, and, and have that to, to keep using. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's so well done. And when you at first told me about it, I was like, oh, this might be a little bit too old for her. Like I was like, she maybe isn't ready for this yet. And then when I got it and was flipping through it, I mean, obviously I'll help her with it, but I'm like, this is so great for even you know kids young like her or kids who are a little bit older and they can do it more independently I just think it's yeah, like such a great really tool for siblings be, like people ask what age everything's geared towards all the time and I'm kind of like it's really a range like I we really want everything yeah. to be accessible even to like the you know kind of three and up crowd um and our thought is really that yeah like the three yeah. to five-ish you know depending on on skill level like can maybe do it with a parent and then maybe once kids are a little older like it's something they can can really still resonate with they're just doing it a little more on their own or they're maybe they're reading it by themselves and kind of asking questions with their parents afterwards like we've actually had kids up to like 12 and 13 tell us that they really like the book which honestly surprised me because I was like really 12 year olds like picture books but I, I think they do and I think especially when there aren't other books on this subject like you'll take what you can get you know (laughs) so that's actually one of our goals is to be able to release like a chapter book or an early reader book to to be able to have more for more age groups but I have a lot of goals and you know I have to make them one at a time (laughs) oh my gosh that sounds amazing I I mean all the work you're doing with your nonprofit, I'm I'm really I'm so thankful for it I'm just blown away you and I were saying I think this is before we started that, you know, just the, the resources that were available to, you know, when, when your brother was diagnosed and just compared to how it is now, it's like, we still have a long way to go, but when I see how far we've come, it's, it makes me like so hopeful and I'm just so totally. thankful it, it that really we have all these resources now. I feel now. like, I feel really like lucky and excited to be able to have had this like outpouring of support for what we're doing because honestly I just like I wrote the book and got it published and I wasn't planning to go further from there and then just so many people reached out to say like we need more of this and people wanted to support doing more of this and so we were able to start a whole nonprofit to back it up because I was able to find like other people who also agree that we need more and so um, you know we were able to really build the momentum and it's just it's been really exciting to see it grow and a lot we've been able to achieve a lot really fast and I'm really hopeful that we'll be able to keep going and and be even more helpful yes well I I'm so thankful for all the work you're doing especially because like we were saying before you and I are like practically neighbors we're both you're in, yeah. in, in Chicago and I'm in the suburbs so it's like we're not far I can't wait to hopefully meet you at some point and just, you know, 
continue to connect with you. And I, I'm just so thankful for all the work you're yeah, doing. Absolutely. Do you so want to tell people where they can find you for siblings of people with disabilities? I know we were saying before, it's kind of a long name, but <laughs> luckily our website URL is a little easier. It's just siblingcenter.org. So www.siblingcenter.org. Um, and yeah, the links to all of our stuff is on there to our book, the workbook, um, our podcast, and we've got a couple other resources up there too. So, and the books are both available. The book and workbook are available on Amazon as well. Yes. I had a bunch of people messaging me saying, where can I get the book? And I, I it's, I mean, I, I always think it's great when, no matter where totally. it's available, I, when it's I on Amazon, it just makes Prime, life so much so. easier. <laughs> <laughs> like if it's not available on Amazon Prime, I'm not buying it. So yeah. I was really happy to make it available that way. <laughs> so smart <laughs> well jessica thank you so much just for taking the time to chat with me and again just for, for your book and all the work you're doing it really is it's so important and so needed and you know as a as a parent of a child with autism and then also typical children i'm just really i'm so grateful for all all that you're doing like I think, you know, parents of young kids, especially like are not always aware of, of sibling issues. So I really, really appreciate you kind of having this topic on your mind and being able to use the platform to talk about it and, and bring us on. So thank you. you Aww, well, you're so welcome. I'm sure bye. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Okay, bye. For you, the listeners of Adventures in Autism podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I often get asked for book recommendations related to autism, and one that I always go back to is called The Out of Sync Child by Carol Kranowitz, and it was actually recommended to me by a friend who is also an OT, and I read this book years ago before Logan was even diagnosed. It's not necessarily just for autism. It also goes into like sensory processing disorder or ADHD, but it's just very valuable information and a really great resource that I still pull from today, even though I read it years ago. So that's a really good one. Sometimes just to get my mind off things, I also just enjoy good old chiclet. <laughs> I love anything by Emily Giffen, like something borrowed or something blue, and those are available on Audible as well, but you can pick from any of their titles. So to download Download your free audiobook today. Go to audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism. All one word. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash adventures in autism for your free audiobook. Okay, well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Jessica. I just think that she is amazing and I love all the things that she is doing. Just earlier today, I spoke on a parent panel for Logan's school board and one of the things that us parents were talking about is just having more resources available to the siblings of special needs because it really, it's not just about us as the parents, it's about the whole family and we all need support. So I love that Jessica is really shining a light on that. I of course mentioned everything that Jessica's doing to the board and the parents today and everybody was super interested. So I, I really do think there's a need within the autism community for the siblings to just have more resources and services available. So I'm really glad that we are kind of seeing more of that come to light. And hopefully as time goes on, we'll just continue seeing more. So that is all for today. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook at Adventures in Autism Podcast, on Instagram at Adventures in Autism Pod, or you can email me at Adventures in Autism 2018 at yahoo.com. Again, I love hearing from you guys. If you have you know a question, a comment, send it my way. If you've been enjoying the show, I would be so appreciative if you would take a moment to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Those reviews really do help other people to find the show. And they just make me super happy. I got a couple of new ones last week and I was thrilled. So thank you so much to everyone who's taken the time to do that. And if you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? If you can leave a few kind words, that's awesome. But honestly, just tapping that five star is super helpful as well. And thank you so much. So that is all for today. And until next time, take care. Music.